Welcome to Mother's Day. I'm sure if you are a mother, you're used to technical difficulties. And that that happens a lot with your children. It seems to be happening with us today. So I'm glad that you're able to join us. I'm glad that you're able to be here with us and that we're able to praise God together. So we want to talk today a little bit about keeping your baby safe. I'm sure you're doing that. I'm sure you have masks on your baby. I'm sure you have gloves on your baby. I'm sure you have wiped your baby down and washed his hands. Well, whatever you need to do to keep your baby safe. I think that's what we do, is we want to keep people safe. I'm not sure whether we're keeping them safe from us or we're keeping us safe from them, but whichever way it works, we are being safe today. Uh, this is a most unusual time because we can't take mom out to eat. So there's going to be some other things that have to be done here. It's still a time to celebrate moms. And it's still a time when they are considered extremely important, especially since now you're stuck at home and she's probably going to have to fix you lunch. I want you to look at some passages with me today and just think about some people today. We want to look at Mary, who's the mother of Jesus. And I've had two great moms in my life. Not both of them were my moms, but my mom was a great mom. And the other one is my wife, who's the mother of my children. And she has been a great mother to my children. And I've been able to watch her in action and see what she does. But as we look at Mary, I think there's something very, very important as we look through her life and look at some of the things that went on. I think most of us recognize the most dangerous place on earth is between a mom and her baby. And that's not just true of bears. That's also true of any mom. And uh, that can be the, one of the most risky places. I want you to realize that Mary was a woman of great faith. That when she got the news from the angel that she was going to have a child, and of course then she's not married, and... Uh, She's trying to realize what all this means and then understands that, well, this is from God. This is the Messiah. This is the one who's coming from God. What an incredible thing it must have been. And her mind must have been reeling. But even as the angel speaks about this and she asks questions, it, she's willing. And I think that's one of the most important things that we realize is that she is a woman of great faith. And when the opportunity or the challenge is presented then we're able to see she is a woman of great faith. But I want you to also realize that, especially in our times, as we try and keep everything nice and neat and clean, Jesus was not born into a sanitary place. And there were, did Mary have wipes? I don't even think she had any of those. There's no way to clean. And, and you know the story and about how he's born basically in the barn. And she has to wrap him and lay him in a manger, which is a good sounding word for feeding trough. Uh, at least there are no animals who are feeding at that time. But compared to where we are today, with all of the scare about germs and viruses and everything else, I want you to know that Jesus was at risk. There were all kinds of things going on, and, and it was not a sanitary place. Danger comes with any time you have children. 
And as we look at the life of Jesus, and, and especially as Mary is part of his life, we realize that there are some people who come and who share in part of this life. The shepherds come, and, and they talk about angels that they have seen. And they're praising God as they leave. And then a couple years later, as they've moved into town, you see the wise men come. And as the wise men came, let me share with you the passage in Matthew 2 about them coming. They came and they understood and they went to the king and the king didn't know anything about it. They finally end up at the house of Mary and Joseph. And as they leave... It says, now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, let us take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and he departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. And this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt I have called my son. And so there's an angel that comes with a warning. And the warning is a very severe warning. I want you to take the child and I want you to leave here. I want you to go to Egypt. Well, Joseph is a poor carpenter. But one of the things that has happened during this time is we're aware that the wise men, when they came, they brought gifts, gold, frankincense, myrrh, perhaps to finance the trip. And so they do leave. They do go to Egypt in order to keep her baby safe. But even as you think about what it took to be able to take this journey from where they lived in Bethlehem all the way down to Egypt, this is not a short journey. And it's not an easy thing. We think of airlines as, as being suspect and perhaps they wouldn't be safe today. I want you to realize that the way that they went it was a lot more difficult and a lot more dangerous as she takes her baby to Egypt. Why? Because God said. Because there's a prophecy. Because he's at risk. Because there's an angel who has come and told them. And he says, I'll warn you. I'll tell you when it's time to come back. But she is trying to keep her baby safe. And so she takes him and they go to Egypt. You see, what happens is moms work together with God. And that's really what happens. God doesn't remove the danger. He helps them through it. And so it's not like he stops all the dangerous things. It's not like he provides sanitary conditions. It's not he just keeps the baby safe. And with the help of Mary, we find that's true. Herod died, the angel comes back again, and he says, it's safe to go back now. And so they do. They travel back, but rather than going to Bethlehem, they end up in Nazareth. And Nazareth is quite a ways from Jerusalem, and so they would go each year down to Nazareth to be able to go to the feast. And the next really scary thing that happens to them is Jesus goes missing. And it's on one of these trips, and Jesus is a little bit older. He's about age 12 now, and he's able to be out with his friends. And uh, would we trust that now? Well, who knows? But he's able to be out with his friends, and so they didn't miss him. They didn't think too much about him. But he's gone for three days. 
And that's a long time to be gone. And it, you can just think the, about the panic that would set in if your child was gone for three days. Have you ever left your child? I mean, forgotten them at the building or forgotten them somewhere. Uh, most of us have at one time or another. And you can imagine the panic that comes over you. Where are they? I mean, they were just here. Where did they go? Are they off playing? Are they, did they get out of the car? And there are situations that come up like that, and it just scares us. But what if for three days you couldn't find them at all? And then when you do find them, they don't even apologize. They say, well, didn't you know where I would be? And it seems like a very strange thing. I had to be in my father's house. I had to be about my father's business. And that's his explanation back to his mother. She's been going crazy with worry all of this time. And I think it's at that point that Mary realizes, I'm not keeping my baby safe. And there may not be a way to keep my baby safe. Because he has more important things. He has other things that he's trying to do. And as we look at that story and look at that situation, he's saying, I had to be in my father's house. I have to be about his business. And it's not about staying at home. It's not about taking care of viruses. She can't keep him safe and follow God at the same time. And there's a difference in that kind of safety. Maybe she knows he's never really going to be safe. Or he's going to be safe, but with a huge risk. He begins his ministry, and shortly after he begins his ministry, we're able to see him, and he comes to the, in John chapter 2, he comes to the wedding in Cana. It says, on the third day there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with the disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servant, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone jars there. For the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw out some and take to the master of the feast. And so they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called for the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the wine, the good wine first, and then when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of the signs Jesus did in Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed him. And so this seems to be a family situation. And perhaps Mary has gone to the wedding. Jesus is also invited to the wedding. It almost seems as if Mary is taking some part in the preparation of this wedding. It was a, a great honor. And when someone was married, they did all kinds of things to be able to celebrate this new couple. 
And one of the most horrendous things would be to run out. To run out of food, to run out of wine, to be able to say, well, you know what? Our couple just isn't that important. We've run out of things. And so this is a huge thing. She comes to Jesus and says to him, they don't have any more wine. Well, I don't know that anyone else has noticed that because they still have some in their glass perhaps, but it could be a very embarrassing situation. And more than just embarrassing, it's, it's a matter of shame that now they can't even get through the wedding how is he ever going to provide? And it would be a, a huge shameful act if this were to occur. But Jesus doesn't take responsibility for it. Even though they've run out of wine, it's like, well, what's that got to do with me? And I, he's not being disrespectful at, in this statement. And, and Mary, on the other hand, isn't asking him. Or what is she asking him? Has she seen great miracles? It says it's the first of the miracles at Canaan. But what is she asking him to do? And I'm not sure she knows. But sometimes when we turn matters over to God, we don't have the answer yet. We just hand it to him and say, I don't know what to do with this. I don't have a solution. And I think those are the better times than when we try and tell God exactly what to do. And so she doesn't say, Jesus, you've got to do not at all. She just looks at the servants and says, just do whatever he says. And she leaves it in his hand. Well, Jesus doesn't just do miracles to do miracles. Uh, that's not what they're about. It's not, you know, let me help around the house. Let me provide the dinner. His are always teaching moments. And so he says, my time isn't yet. Uh, this is not the time for it. We're at a wedding. It's not. And she leaves it with him. And so Jesus finds a way. He finds a time when he's able to teach. And so he sees the cleansing jars for purification that are there. And he asked the servants to fill the jars with water. And it says these are 30 gallons. That's, that's a pretty good-sized jar. Just think about the jug of milk that sits in your fridge. Well, that's only one gallon. And can you get 30 of those into your fridge? Most fridges are too small to even get 30 in. Certainly, the shelf height needs to be adjusted or something. But they can't even get them in. That would be one jar. And so this is a huge amount of water. And they pour water into all of these, fill it up all the way up to the brim. There's no other mixing other wine in. There's nothing else that's going to happen here. And then he says, take it out and go take it to the one in charge of the feast. And he declares that it's the best. It's the best wine. And so why does Jesus do this? Well, I think there's a few lessons we're able to learn from this. It's, the first one is that Jesus is the master of quality. 
And so as the wine comes, it's not just any wine, it's the best wine. And the people there are able to notice the difference. And that most people bring out the good stuff first. And then later on, when you're not so picky, maybe some other wine. But he says, you've saved the best till last. And so certainly Jesus is the master of quality. Another one might be that he takes what is very ordinary, something as simple as water. And he turns it into something that is incredibly good. And so he gives this couple what they need as far as praise. That they have chosen to serve the best wine second. He takes what is ordinary in our life and he turns it into something that's great. Perhaps it's the water of life. And these are cleansing jars where they had come in, and it's the Jewish rite of purification. And so they had taken the water from these jars and washed the hands of each person as they had come in, at least poured water over their hands. And so perhaps he's saying, here's the way of cleansing, because we always associate wine or the fruit of the vine with the blood of Jesus. So perhaps he's meaning that. We're not exactly sure what he means. For me, it seems like the plain water of life is suddenly filled with the greatness of Christianity. And that seems to be what he's trying to get at. He makes purification jars and he fills them with his cleansing rather than something else. Whatever the lesson to learn from that. And perhaps it's all of those things. We see Jesus as he now begins. And even bigger than mamas being able to protect babies. Is when mamas believe in their babies. And what they're doing. And certainly we see Mary as she believes in Jesus. Here's a problem that she can't fix, that she can't do anything about. And she turns to her son and says, all right, I'm handing this to you. And we see how Jesus is able to use this, not just for that situation, but also perhaps to teach some lessons about himself. Well, Mary is just not able to keep Jesus safe. And so as he goes and as he teaches more, we find more and more people disagree with him. Some people really believe in him, but so many more seem to disagree with him. And he gets into more and more trouble with scribes and Pharisees, and we see how people turn against him. And sometimes they're very upset with him. And when it comes time for that last Passover... She knows things are really bad. He's in the garden and she can't protect him. And Judas comes to betray and she can't protect him. And soldiers are there to arrest him and she can't protect him. And his disciples can't protect him either. In fact, they try. One of them, Peter, takes a sword and, and goes headhunting. And he says, well, and he's not a very good swordsman. And so he is not able to do anything. Jesus heals the ear that Peter has cut off and puts it back on. Well, how are you going to protect someone like that if he keeps healing the enemy every time you strike a blow? And so they run away. 
It's too dangerous to be there. It's too dangerous to be in that situation. And so they take Jesus and they crucified him. Peter and John do come back to the trial. They are there watching, trying to see what's going to happen. John knew somebody and got them both in. Peter ends up using the opportunity to basically deny that he even knows Jesus because he's accused of being one of them. No, I never knew him. And so he again denies Jesus. The one thing we see about Mary comes at the end of John in chapter 19. After Jesus is crucified, it says, So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother... And the disciple whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. And so it's very significant. As we look at all the disciples who had been following all this time and received all of the teaching that Jesus could give them and, and given them all this instruction, it does not give them as much faith as the woman who was his mother because she is there at the foot of the cross. She's not leaving. She's not going anywhere. Peter had left and gone after his denial, but John is there with Mary. And he looks at John and at Mary and he gives them to each other. Mom, this is your son. John, this is your mom. And they treat each other like that from that time on. And so he is protecting his mom, even if she is, he's on the cross. She could not protect him and keep him safe. She could believe in who he was. She could be about his father's business. She could be involved in doing what was important. She could be involved in serving God. She is the woman who talks to angels. And she can see the purpose and will of God. And she is involved in it. And it brings her great sadness in her life. I'm sure. As she watches her son being crucified. Being rejected. Being said bad things about. But the last time we see her is her going to a tomb. And the tomb is empty. And she realizes he's won. She's realizing he has conquered death. She realizes the things that were said about him, that he was going to rise on the third day are true. She speaks to the angel once again who is there. And she knows he will never be in danger again. He has conquered death and he is safe. 
And now he's able to make many people safe. He's able to save them from sin and from death. And so keeping your baby safe may not be the most important. It might be about the protection that comes with being a mother. But it is also about being part of what God is doing in the lives of your children. And she takes that one over the other. I know every natural tendency is to protect them. And every act of faith is to share them with God and with what God is doing. And the reason babies are safe is because of what God is doing. There's several other Old Testament examples that we can think of that are just crazy when you think about it. What were moms thinking? There's the story of Hannah as you see this in the Old Testament. And Hannah ends up giving her baby back to God to be in the temple, to be raised by Levi, be raised by a guy who isn't raising his own family very well, and his sons are corrupt, and it's a terrible family situation, but she believes in God. And perhaps the one that gets me even more than that is Jochebed, is she puts her baby in a basket and floats him in the Nile River. Really? Are you being safe? Did you at least wipe down the basket? Did you spray it with Lysol? Did you... This is keeping him safe? It absolutely is. Because there's no chance he's going to survive without this. And she may place this at the exact spot where she knows the queen comes to bathe and where she will not be able to resist how beautiful that baby is and... So she places her child in the middle of disaster so that he can be safe from harm, safe in disaster. He's safe with God, wherever that is. And so we see faith and the fact that they did what was not safe, but they did what God wanted. And that's what makes them safe. There was no better plan than to wait for soldiers to come for Jochebed. But she gives him to God. And Mary, is, as she follows Jesus and supports Jesus and is there through all of the trouble and distress and difficulties that he had, is finally able to see him resurrected, raised from the dead, triumphant. See, a mother's faith, faith is always extreme. She will keep her baby safe. And she will make sure her babies are saved. And so just think about that for your mom. She will face disaster with God. Because God is the only way the babies are safe. She will see the miracle of God. She might even talk to angels. And the courage comes from mothers who are able to live out the glory of God. It's many years later after Mary has passed, but Paul writes this phrase about Jesus found in Philippians 2. It talks about how he emptied himself and went to a cross. 
But now that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. It was her dream all along. And people see it and people recognize it. Because not only did she protect her baby, but she took him into the danger with God. And so please protect your children. Uh, do whatever it takes to keep them safe. And the safest place you can put them is in the arms of God. Because moms know how to accept that place of God. And to take you there. And so let's give them honor today. After all, it's God's day. But it's also Mother's Day too. And I'd venture to say if you found God, it may have had something to do with your mother. And so let's give them praise as we also praise God.